This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord according to St. Luke. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be cast down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nations will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. I invite you to be seated. As I was studying our, the passages that we have in our lectionary readings this week, I was reminded of a short story that I read, and so I went back and revisited it, and I, I enjoyed it about as much as I did the first time through. It's a short story by uh, Neil Gaiman, and it's called, It's Only the End of the World Again. Now, before you run out to read the short story, I will remind you that the short stories that I prefer to consume are, you know, supernatural, thriller, horror, murder mysteries, okay? So just bear that in mind if, if you decided that you wanted to read this. But it's a story of a werewolf who is also a private investigator. Uh, and he finds himself trapped in a, in a weird little town in, in New England. Uh, and, and as he is leaving his house one day, he says, there was a note under my door from my landlady said that I owed her two weeks' rent. Also said that the answers, all the answers, were in the book of Revelations. 
It said I made a lot of noise coming home in the early hours of the morning and she'd thank me to be quieter in the future. It said that when the elder gods rose up from the ocean, all the scum of the earth and the non-believers and the human garbage and the wastrels and deadbeats would be swept away and the world be cleansed by ice and deep water. It also said she felt she ought to remind me that she had assigned me a shelf in the refrigerator and when I arrived and she would thank me if I would keep using that. <laughs> Later on he encounters somebody who, who is talking to him about the end of the world and he says, the end of the world is a strange concept because the world is always ending and the end is always being avoided. So the gospel this morning is all about the endings of things, the end of the world, the end of all things. We call this apocalyptic literature. And the word apocalypse means revealed. Jesus is revealing something to us about not the ultimate end, but all of the ends that are happening all around us all the time. What does it look like for things to end in the world around us? And what does it look like for things to end in God's kingdom? But here's the trouble with this passage. Jesus tells this story, gives this parable, gives this, this proclamation. We could even say it's a prophetic word to his disciples, and they don't get it. Because it's, you know, kind of confused, confusing for us this morning. So as I always say when we are reading Scripture, and especially when it's a confusing part of Scripture, we need to read the Scripture in the context, right? It's all about the context. So what's the context here? This is a continuation in part of our reading from the last couple of weeks. So Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem to confront the authorities. And he's going to confront the authorities and overthrow the authorities by allowing the authorities to arrest him and then allowing them to kill him. This is, this is the way that Jesus is going to overthrow the, the present state of, of his world and the way that we are going to overthrow the present state of our world. The kingdom of God looks like a cross, but the disciples don't get that. Honestly, I don't get that. Not all of the time, at least. Maybe we're growing into that realization that that's what God's kingdom looks like. But it's hard to get there because it doesn't make sense. It's the opposite of the world around us. So Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and everybody welcomes him as a king. And the first thing that he does is weep over the city. He weeps over what the city is, over what the city has become. And then he goes into the temple and finds it's been turned into a marketplace. And so he drives the people out of the marketplace. And the authorities in the temple, the authorities in Jerusalem, come to confront him. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians all descend on Jesus and his little group. And they begin attacking him. Not physically, but they begin attacking him to try to shame him and drive him back out of the temple. But Jesus turns all of their attacks aside. He deflects all of their questions. He shames them in turn. And then as they are going away with their tails between their legs, he says to his disciples, I want you to look at this place that's around you. This is built on, on, the, on, on the leavings of widows and the poor. Those people that are running away from you right now, those people steal from the poor. Those people take what's left from, from the widows. They, they change the laws and they interpret the laws so that they can oppress the people who don't have anything so that they can be comfortable, so that they can live lives of ease and comfort and make everybody look at them and pretend how fantastic they are. And while he's talking, this widow comes forward and she takes two tiny little copper coins and puts them into the alms box. And he says, that woman right there has given more than anyone else in this entire place. Because they gave 
some of what they had left over. And she gave everything that she has to live on. And the disciples hear him say that and say, yeah, but this temple is really gorgeous. That's their response. After everything that they've seen and everything that they've heard, their response is, this temple is really beautiful. And it was. See, the, the, the original temple, the temple that Solomon built, had been destroyed. When, when God's people fell into sin and, and, and ran away from God, the temple was destroyed. God turned them over to the nations, and they destroyed the temple. So they came back and they rebuilt the temple, but it was junky. They didn't really have anything to do. Well, it turns out that about 100 years before our gospel is written, there was a king whose name was Herod. Uh, and he had, he had made, uh, made a pact with Rome, and he had gotten very, very rich off of those things. And one of the things that he did was to restore the temple to its former glory. So Herod took the money that he used by turning God's people over to another foreign power and used that to make the temple look pretty, to establish this, this new way of living in the temple. And when the disciples see the temple, they see their entire world. To them, the temple is more than just a building. It's the center of the universe. Everything that happens in their life, in their world, revolves around life at this temple. It's an ideology. The temple itself is a way of life. It's not just a way of life in terms of the culture. It's actually the way that life happens for most of the people who live within a day or so of Jerusalem. The temple is sustained by, by hundreds and thousands of, of, of crafters, by, by people who are, who are making and selling incense, by people who are raising livestock that will be used for, for all of the various rites and rituals, uh, for people who are changing money in, in and out. Scholars right now estimate that something upwards of 20,000 people had their livelihood dependent on the temple in Jerusalem. The people who lived in the communities all around it depended on this system being the way that it was. And Jesus walks into the middle of that system and says, God is going to cast this down. When God is done, there's not going to be a stone remaining on top of another stone on the top of this mountain. Jesus has come to make all things new. We've been talking about that for the last several weeks, about what it looks like for Jesus to make all things new. As we've been preparing our hearts and our community for for Advent, which begins in two weeks, we've been getting ready for that by thinking about what does it mean for Jesus to make all things new. Two weeks ago, we said that when Jesus makes all things new, it means that he goes out to save the things that have been lost, the things that have been forgotten, the things that have fallen by the wayside, that he makes all things new by making us into new people. That's what we talked about last week. He saves lost things. He transforms us into new people. The promise that Jesus makes all things new continues today in this, that making all things new isn't just about my heart, but it's also about my community. That all of the places around me that I touch can also be made new. That Jesus is making all things new. But that is not necessarily a comfortable idea. 
Because that means that the old things have to pass away. Those old things have to be reborn. That means the political systems in our life need to be reborn. It means that the financial systems in our world need to be reborn. It means that the social systems in our cultures need to be reborn. It means that the religious systems in our world have to be reborn. All of those things come to an end so that they can be reborn in Jesus. All of them are being reborn in God's kingdom. They're being reborn, not done away with. God's kingdom isn't a place of lawlessness and anarchy. It's not a place where where there isn't form, where there isn't design. It's God's kingdom. The place where Jesus is king. The place where his subjects gather around him. It's God's kingdom. But in God's kingdom, everything has to be reborn. Our politics and our finances and our society and our religion, everything in God's kingdom has to be reborn. And that's what we proclaim every single week. Every week as we head back out into the world to find God's kingdom, to encounter God in the world around us, we proclaim our hope that though the world goes not well, God's kingdom is coming. But that kingdom comes first by casting down everything that is not God's kingdom. That's what Jesus says in this gospel lesson today. Do you notice that he says that everything is going to begin falling apart? And he starts with the biggest things. Nations are going to go to war against nations. And there's going to be tumult and there's going to be warfare and there's going to be strife. But also it's going to happen in smaller communities. There's going to be breakdowns in in food supply. There's going to be breakdowns in, in the way that communities thrive together. And then he pushes it even farther. He says, not only is there going to be disruption on on massive scales, but there's going to be disruption on individual scales. Our support systems can crumble and fall apart when they're not a part of God's kingdom. They have to be reborn as well. Our communities, our families, all of those things have to submit themselves to the new life that is being revealed in Jesus Christ. And we resist that. I resist that. As I'm saying this to you this morning, I don't like it. I don't like the idea that that the things that are important to me, the things that give me stability and structure and comfort and security have to be reborn in Jesus. It's not a comfortable idea. Flannery O'Connor says it this way. She said, all human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us and change is painful. We resist grace. But Jesus says to his disciples then and to his disciples here today, all these things must take place first. Because the purpose, the telos, the design, the goal of God's kingdom is for all things to be returned to newness. God is making all things new. God at work in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through his church is making all things new. And so Jesus tells his disciples then, and he tells his disciples now this morning gathered here, not to give up on hope. Because it may feel like everything 
in you and everything around you is caving in. And it may feel like everything in your life is falling apart. But Christ is here today. Pause with that truth for a moment. Meditate on that truth for a moment. Jesus is here. God is with us. We're not alone. We're not forgotten. We're not abandoned. Jesus is here. And that changes everything. That's the promise we heard from the prophet Malachi this morning. That there is a day coming. A day that's going to be like a burning oven when arrogant evildoers will be like stubble and they'll be consumed in the fire root and branch. But for those who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. God's righteousness, his justice is coming. And his justice is healing. God makes all things right by making all things new. If Jesus is here, then you and I have hope. You and I have hope that what was lost is being restored as though it had never been lost or damaged. If Jesus is here, then we know that we are not alone. If Jesus is here, then we are one body because we share one bread. Jesus is here with his people. God is with us. And so God's people wait. His Easter people wait. They're not idle. They wait. And while we're waiting, we watch and we pray and we sing and we serve. We proclaim our hope through words of praise and thanksgiving. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. O Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you stand with me?